Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. You're listening to Atlanta Baseball Talk, your weekly podcast for all things Atlanta Braves. Welcome to the show. Today is Tuesday, December 21st, 2010, and my name is Steve. Happy holidays, everyone. So we had to come back and do a show to discuss the free agent pitcher signing that has rocked all of baseball. Of course, I'm talking about George Sherrill. Thank you. Uh, so no hammy not, tonight. Not Rick Ankiel. <laughs> yeah. um, no hammy tonight. Let me bring in Curtis. Kurt, how are you tonight? I'm good. Um, Merry holiday. Yes, Merry holiday to all. Uh, you doing all right, man? Getting I'm doing all right. Christmas? Doing all right. Yeah, we're uh, we're ready to go. You know, I mean, having two little kids is is always fun um, around this this season. So, um, yeah, they're very excited, and you know, doing all the advent calendars and all the things that I did as a kid. It's kind of fun to uh, to see them take part in all that. And we've got the elf. Do you guys do the elf? The little elf that is supposed to watch them and and um, Make sure, you know, he's supposed to report back to Santa. He's like Santa's spy and you oh, hide no, in the house. Don't, no, we don't have that. Yeah, they've chosen to ignore his powers and influences this year, apparently. <laughs> and they're being naughty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> apparently, they've chosen to ignore the power and influence their parents also have on Santa. <laughs> Recognizing a... we're not going to short them on presents either way. You know, speaking of presents that I've probably mentioned before, I record in our not-so-big walk-in closet, which is also doubling as the hiding place for all of our, you know, the gifts we've bought. So I'm sitting in like a one-cubic-foot area right now trying to do the show. Um, all right, one quick, so uh, one quick um, yeah, movie. Ahead. Movie. Oh, yeah. Um, Tron. Yes. Mm, not so much. Yeah, it's funny. Through through work, I, I went and saw like a sneak preview a couple of days before it opened. And uh, my 10-year-old loved it. But boy, it didn't make a lot of sense. And it was, yeah, I mean, it just had so much promise. And visually, it's really... It's good looking. Astonishing. Yep. But it, I, th- I think your 10-year-old wrote the script. Yeah, and maybe and that's, that's why he loved it so much. He loves his own work. Yeah. And the Jeff... Bridges, young guy, computer-generated face would work a lot better if his lips were actually synced up with the what he was saying. Yeah, it was kind of excellent and kind of weird and waxy looking. Yeah. Yeah. So I have another quick movie thing. This afternoon I took my boys to, um, to Tangled. Oh, sure. Which was actually very good. Really, I had pretty low expectations about it. I really found it a joy. It was smart it's and funny. Is that, that's yeah, it's, it's like the updated Rapunzel story, but it's a, you know it feels like a straightforward Disney thing. I mean, they're singing and um, you know, it's a wicked you know mom figure, and it was really good. Gotcha. I really recommend it. Okay. 
All right, man. Before we start, some quick programming notes. We'll be back with a new show in the next few weeks. But to ensure that you don't miss anything going on with us, follow us on Twitter. We are at ATL Baseball Talk. Keep checking back regularly at AtlantaBaseballTalk.com. Post in the comments section and also subscribe to us on iTunes. All right, man. In tonight's show, we'll talk about the loss of Matt Diaz, the bullpen additions, and the never-ending saga of center field. But first, Cliff Lee. So, Kurt, let's get right to it. How big a deal do you think the Cliff Lee signing to the Phillies really is to the Braves' 2011 season? On a scale of like 1 to 10? Sure. I say 8-ish in that neighborhood. Yeah. Um, I think it's I think it's huge, and it really was uh, incredibly disappointing that that's where he ended up. Um, I, I think I don't know. I think the Braves maybe challenged the Phillies this year for the East. I don't think they would have in, inevitably come out with the the division crown. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they have any shot now. Um, and I, I say that knowing that the Phillies, I think, are going to be breaking down a lot this year, as they have been the last couple of years, specifically their position players. Um, we'll see what the loss of worth does to them. Um, but, you know, 18 times against those four, and frankly, Kendrick, I guess, will probably be their fifth starter. We right, think. because the... the- the reports you hear, they are absolutely going to move Blanton. Right. And Jamie Moore, I assume, is... Well, he, he's out gone. for the year. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's out for the year. Which means he's got to be done. Cause no, he our, wants to come back in 2012. As a national. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you got to figure that if you face him 18 times, that you're going to have... You're going to see... Right, I mean, Kendrick, see... Kendrick owned them, so you could potentially lose 16 of 18 games. Yeah, I mean, you know, I look back at last year, you know, Halliday was 3-0 and against us. We batted 198 against him. Hamels was 2-1. and We batted 282 against him. Oswald had no record over two games, but we hit 115 against him. So, and he, yeah, was the I mean, guy that, he was the guy that they had the best record against going in. I mean, they had kind of owned him for a little while when he was with the Astros. As an Astro, yeah. I mean, in theory, we could see the fifth starter, and I know, to your point, Kendrick, it's not like Kendrick was that much better for us. We could see him only three times right. over the course of the year. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, it's, it's so strange, right? I felt so good about the team's chances after the Ugla signing. I just felt so good about it and, and was happy to see Worth go. I mean, you know, the, there is the... There is the the whole piece that they've lost Worth, who you could argue was maybe their most consistent bat all year last year. Right. And he's gone. Um, and with the addition of Ugla, I just felt like, you know, we had really improved dramatically compared to them. But this sort of knocked all that down in my mind um, with Lee coming in. Well, yeah. in, in their bullpen, which seemingly is, a, is the weakest link on their team, how much are those guys going to have to pitch? I mean, you have four guys, and Kendrick, you know, can put some innings out there too. Mm-hmm. That that can can take up a lot of innings in a game. Yeah. Um, so, um, and I know, you know, they might lose Abanez. I think they might try and. I've read that 
that Blanton and Ibanez were really guys that they were going to try and move to offset some of the $170 million payroll that they have. Um, I mean, I had heard they were going to keep Ibanez, but Ibanez has got to be 37, 38 years old. Right. Right. Well, their whole team. I mean, if Dominic Brown does not make the team, the whole starting lineup will be over 30 years old. You've had Utley with issues. You've had um, certainly Jimmy Rollins has had tons of issues. Um, You know, their whole team is is apt to go through stretches where they just are felled by age and the number of baseball games that you have to play. so that will certainly help the Braves being a much younger team. But with that pitching, unless one of the pitchers goes down, you figure that they can keep the Phillies in it regardless of the lineup that they're throwing out there. Right. And at the end of the day, it's almost an eighth of the se- of the season is against the Phillies. Right. And we've probably lost a few, ex- you know, we've probably lost three extra games now. With the addition of Cliff Lee, and those can be important games. I mean, look, we won the wild card by one game last year. This can every game sure. can be important like that. And obviously, the only only benefit that comes from it is that the NL East, all the teams will have to face them eighteen times. Um, but how competitive are the Mets going to be this year? Or is that a, you know the Marlins or those teams that we're going to have to worry about in the wild card? Where it will benefit us that they also have to face the Phillies eighteen times? But it, yeah. all that being said, point. the Braves. The Braves have had masterful lineups and are starting lineups, starting pitching lineups before, and we've seen how much came of that. So I wouldn't start printing out their World Series champs T-shirts just yet, but it is very disappointing. Absolutely. Well, they looked unstoppable the last month of the season in 2010. I mean, we all we all were printing their World Series right. shirts Last right. year, and look what happened. So, All right, Kurt. So after it was announced that Martin Prada would move to left field as a result of the Ugla signing, the Braves seemingly had the approach that they'd keep only one of Hinsky or Diaz. So fair or foul, Kurt, in signing Hinsky, the Braves made the right choice. I guess I have to say fair just in what Hinsky provides to them versus Diaz um, with the ability to back up first base and um, that. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very close um, flip-flop between the two. Um, I just – Diaz has provided so much for this team and his ability to hit lefties has made him invaluable. Um, but his he kind of gotten injury-prone. His defense is pretty um, sketchy. So um, – not that Hinsky's is great, but I just think that, that Hinsky's ability to back up first made him more valuable to the team, and that's why they kept him. So in a very, very close race, I will say fair. Yeah, so I love Diaz. I mean, you know I was a huge Diaz guy, but I don't think it was even that close, given the parameters of it had to be one or the other. Because if you're talking about bench guys, you really want clutch performance out of those guys. And Diaz really had a down year in 2010. His clutch stats were awful. I'll compare the two guys. Two, uh, hitting with two outs and runners in scoring position, Diaz batted 120. Hinsky was 275. Late and close situations with the seventh inning and tied or within one run, Diaz hit 171 and Hinsky hit 302. Um, and in the seventh through ninth innings, Diaz was a 143 hitter 
Hinsky was a 305 hitter. So, I mean, all that sort of clutch stuff, it's like no contest. And the other piece for it, you know, people can argue that the, that the clubhouse presence thing is important or not, but it seemed like every player to a man on the team would bring up Hinsky last year right. about what a powerful clubhouse presence he was. Well, I think there was universal love for Diaz too. So, um, but I, I definitely I know what you're saying as far as as kind of more of a vocal leader. I don't think Diaz was really that um, that guy. But but all being said, I'm glad Diaz did not sign with the Phillies. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt, because undoubtedly that would have lost one or two more games for us. Sure. Or or if he had gone to the Marlins and he and Wes Helms would have right turned Tortured triple us. plays and yes hit grand slams and things, but you know at the end of the day I'm certainly sad to see Diaz go and while I'm happy he got two guaranteed years I'm sad to see him buried in Pittsburgh that way. Well, he's there's no way that he lives an entire season playing for the Pirates once it's time for them to dump some people at the end of the year when they're losing 100 games and some contender needs a guy that can hit lefties. Diaz will be bound for that team as quick as possible because yeah. some team will pick up or he'll, they'll, and there's an option they'll eat the money at the end of the year or something like it's that. It's a good point because he got decent money. I mean, he got $2 million or 2 plus for each year for two years. Right. Yeah, it wasn't a small amount of money. All right, so, Kurt, the Braves restocked the bullpen – this offseason with 34-year-old veteran righty Scott Linebrink and 35-year-old veteran lefty George Sherrill. So fair or foul, don't you think the Braves could have found guys who were even older and had even worse years in 2010? <laughs> yeah, I think Lee Smith actually um, tried out for the team. And, uh, <laughs> and they were this close to signing yeah, him. But he started eating baseballs, and so they had to not sign him. Yeah, I, you know, I, this is one of those things where – these guys, it's one of these moves that the Braves have to make now where they're trying to catch lightning in a bottle and hope that these guys have one more shot in them, you know. I mean, and they have Chris Hammond, guys like that. Um, and it's certainly worked in the past. We've seen sure. it year after year. Right. So in the bullpen, they've always been, it seems like those are the guys that they can always kind of squeeze one more season out of. Um, but, you know, I think there's George Sherrill obviously has – pretty solid numbers against lefties and I think that that's he'll be brought in to face Utley and and uh, Ryan Howard and then will immediately be pulled so um, I think that with the youth of the bullpen they needed some some cagey veterans out there um, but maybe not quite this cagey (laughs) and maybe not quite this veteran yeah yeah I mean I was being somewhat facetious with that question um, and the George Sherrill thing, I'm totally with it. Like you said, I mean, he limited left-handers to a 192 batting average last year. Um, and while right-handers hit 427 in 2010, which is just dismal, you know, as recent as 2009, they only hit 244 against him. And I agree that there, he's going to be a, a left-handed specialist. I think they will use him sparingly, and, you know, I think that's pretty good. And Linebrink was great in 2003. When they originally wanted. Wow. I was pretty great in 2003. Yeah, exactly. And now um, I'm 40. I mean, you know, he was pretty, he was abysmal last year. I mean, 440 ERA, 262 batting average. And the White Sox just stopped pitching him in, in significant situations. 
by the end of the year. I mean, they ate, I can't, they ate, you know, four million or something of his, of his salary. I mean, they ate a bunch of his salary to get rid of him. Um, you know, the the only thing to that favors him, his opponents hit 203 against him with runners in scoring position last year. You know, the one other thing I want to mention about line brink is the Braves. It's funny. I was rereading an article about line brink when they signed him. And the first thing that Wren mentioned about him was not about his pitching prowess. It was about having a veteran presence in the bullpen to mentor, um, you know, venters and um, Kimbrel. And thank you. And Kimbrel, uh, like Billy Wagner did last year, because they saw such a positive influence of Billy Wagner. But the one thing about that is, is because it's Billy freaking Wagner. Yeah. Well, I mean, couldn't they have found an old guy that could provide that leadership that was good? Right. That's the thing. If Scott Leinbring goes out there and is not good, what kind of what kind of weight is he going to carry in the bullpen? Right. So, look, uh, like we said at the start of this conversation, he may be great. I, you know, he will likely benefit from moving to the National League, all of that stuff. He certainly has good in him, and he was amazing five years ago, but I was not blown away by it. Yeah, and I, I, the thing I don't want them to do, which they have, is kind of trumpet these moves as if they've really gone out and done something. <laughs> but given that the Braves, other than obviously the massive Ugla move, that they have really had little to talk about, I think that this, they go, oh, we've shored up our bullpen with these veteran guys and stuff like that. Well, this is not like when they got Wagner and um, Saito. Saito last year. Yeah, it's a no far doubt. cry from that. So no doubt. Hopefully that discussion of how impactful these two gentlemen will be will be quickly put on the back burner. Well, hopefully it will play out in the season. Um, all right, Kurt, let's end with center field. So a few weeks ago, DOB wrote a terrific blog about Jordan Schaefer and how he's finally right after his wrist injury and how he's training like crazy. He's going to prove everyone he can still play at the major league level. You know, I got all pumped up for it. But let, let's step back and have a reality check here. So why don't we look at it this way? Who do you think gets more starts in center field in 2011? McLeod, Schaefer, or a player to be named? I'm gonna I'm gonna go with McLeod just because I think once again it's it's kind of his position to lose. I think that the the slightest glimmer of resuscitation of his career that we saw at the very very end of the season. He had that amazing week. Yes, and it was amazing. And I think that that will benefit him to the point where he will be the starting guy and he will be in there much the way Bobby did where he will be out there until he is just so atrocious that he forces them to pull him out of there. Um, and I, you know, I mean, it was some point it was easy for us to argue that defensively he should be out there and that he covered up his inability to hit the baseball through his defense, but his defense is really not that good anymore either. And certainly we've talked about his non throws to home. Yeah. It's been a strange drop off in that regard. And the non throws to home seem to get, um, you know, much more ubiquitous this season yes. than we had than we ever saw last year. It was really strange, indeed. And I would say that Jordan Schaefer 
should he be on the same playing level, if you will, if they produce similar numbers um, in spring training, I would honestly hope that Schaefer would get the shot over McLeod because Schaefer has so much more upside than McLeod does, I think. Yeah, I mean, He's younger, I, you know. I mean, he proved – well, he showed a couple of years in spring training when they thought he was one of the best players in all of spring training, at least in the, in the Florida side of it. And you heard that from – all the coaches and all the media guys, that that's, that spring training two years ago, he was the most impressive guy. Right. Um, and he was great for the first week, right. you know, before he hurt his wrist. But, I, you know, he's got a long way to go. I cannot believe that he's going to come into spring training and look good enough to start. Like, forget about McLeod and his $7 million and all that jazz. Um, I just think there's no way that he could look that good. I think maybe after May or June, he could be ready. Um, you know, but so getting back to the question, I think that if you go back to last year, at the end of April, McLeod was hitting 175. At the end of May, he was hitting 179. I mean, I think that after two months, if he's hit, you know, batting below 200, they're going to pull him. I mean, as great as that one week was in September and as much money as he's being paid, he also had an atrocious two weeks after that one resurgent week. And he was, he was awful in the playoffs. Awful in the playoffs. Awful in left field. I mean, just right. a travesty in left that, field. That helium balloon that he threw in. Oh, and just misplaying balls, being clearly uncomfortable with the wall in Philadelphia. It was just off. I mean, Hinsky looked better in left field than he did. Well, let me ask you a question. This kind of builds on this, and we kind of brought this. This was kind of discussed on the on the chat section the other day about who, if you had to choose on who you think bounces back between McLeod or Schaefer, who would you go with? Yeah, I know it makes no sense, but I go with Schaefer just because I've just lost all faith in McLeod. And I can't point to an injury with McLeod. I can point at least to an injury with Schaefer. Right. I just think that McLeod's mechanics have gotten so bad that he just can't really hit anymore. Right. And the other thing, when McLeod was even sent down, which... You know, we talked about it last year. At least when Gloss was sent down, he smashed the ball. Right, like like a major leaguer should do in right. AAA. And McLeod went down there and batted 180. Yeah, and, and one of our commenters made the point that McLeod still has, you know, an over 300 on um, base percentage, and it means that he sees the ball and he gets his walks, and, and that's a good sign for a hitter. And I can't argue, but I still I still just get can't get past what I've seen the past year and a half. Yeah, and and obviously the Schaefer strikeouts, that was a running joke two years ago. And the crippling strikeouts when he would come up in a position where there would be guys on base. But he was how much always of that, bases loaded when he right. came up. But how much of that can be attributed to the to the injury? I mean, if his wrist is all screwed up, then he can't get around on pitches and he's Oh, and his approach changes and, and he's yeah. trying to cheat and all that. Yeah, I... I I have to believe it could have compl- it could have been 100% behind it. Um, but, you know, so to, to actually answer the question, I think that it's really conceivable after May, McLeod gets sent down, and we see a combination of Matt Young and Schaefer for the rest of the year. You think McLeod's going to get sent down again? 
What else would they do with him? I don't know. Try and train him? But <laughs> but if he's looking that bad after two months, there's no way they're going to be able to trade him. What if they What if they threw in Kenshin Kawakami in the deal? Ah, yes. Well, we'd have to talk to the Royals. Ah, <laughs> uh, did and you then, read? Not yeah. to totally change subjects here. Are we done talking about Macabre? Sure, sure. Did you read the Did you read the first part of this article, this interview that Dob did with Frank Wren today? Yes. Thoughts. I thought it was interesting that they key. Uh, I mean, what? Okay, so the thing that I thought was most interesting was about him being a GM and having Liberty be the owners. Right, well, it's, I guess we should preface, if, if for people that have not read the article, they should go read the article or the interview. But basically, Frank, or DOB is asking Frank Wren about, once again, about ownership and about payroll. Yeah, and about being a mid-market team and a mid-market payroll and all that stuff. And, you know, how is it about having a corporate owner as opposed to a local one and competing against teams like the Mets and the Phillies who have unlimited payroll capacity as a side note isn't it funny how you don't even think about the Mets as a high payroll team because they've been such a travesty the last few years right well they've just gone about it you know that they're just throwing money down the toilet if you will because they're signing they're signing really they're making really stupid moves they've just had bad GMing if you will, and they never had a core. I mean, the main thing about the Phillies and the Braves of the '90s, obviously, was that they had were able to develop that core of their team, and then could bring in pieces to. I mean, it's amazing if you think about the Phillies. Not not that I don't hate the Phillies, but how many of those guys are homegrown in Philadelphia? And it's very rare. That, right. And that's obviously they struck gold with so many guys, like the Yankees did, like the Braves did in years past, um, and you see that. That continuity leads to much more success than teams like the Mets that are just trying to bring in guys and fit pieces and do things like that because the chemistry and all those types of issues. But to go back to the Frank Wren conversation, what were you saying? Sorry. Yeah, I I thought it was very interesting and insightful to hear him talk about it's great to have them as owners because they don't bother him and he can just work and do his thing and they're not bugging him, which makes a lot of sense. The part that I continue to find disingenuous or just hard to swallow, which I have for however many years we've been hearing this, is that they, the brave, set the payroll. Right. (laughs) I mean, really? If they set the payroll, they wouldn't want to do like five extra million so they could have signed a Breu a couple years ago or a Banez a couple years, you know? I just find that hard to believe. So I, to me, that's absolute corporate speak that they've been told to say. Right. You know, but uh, I, I do think there's, there's certainly value in the – they get to work autonomously within the budget that they have, air quotes, set. Right. Well, and I, and, and I understand what they're saying as far – I mean, what they need to say – and he does say it at the end. Once again, it's, it's the fans – it's the fans' fault that they don't spend more money on their payroll because the fans aren't coming out to the games and the numbers that they like, so they're not going to spend more on payroll until they start making more money off the team. Because to suggest that Atlanta is a medium market franchise, I will yeah, say crazy. this until I'm blue in the face, Atlanta is the eighth largest market 
in the United States of America. Yeah. Okay, it's larger than Washington D.C. It's larger than lots of these other places where teams are going out and spending a lot of money. And not saying that the Nationals are spending their money the proper way, but it's not a it's not a medium sized medium market. You know? Yeah, and, and to be clear, Ren didn't come out and like call out the fans, but he did talk about revenue stream and right. you know what they have which to, is, to play with. Which is an overt Absolutely. No, commentary. absolutely. It, it, and it I mean you can't you can't I mean the Phillies obviously have sold out every game for two years, but so did the Braves back when the expectation was that the Braves were going to the playoffs and that we're a world championship caliber team every single year. Now, why the Braves fans didn't get on board last year with that team is exciting and as well as they played at home and all the young guys and everything like that, Bobby Cox last season, all the things that were, I, I can't answer that. Yeah. But I, if maybe what Liberty Media and what they need to do is they need to come out and say, all right, Braves fans, reach 3 million in attendance this year and we'll kick our payroll up to $95 million or $100 million, you know? Yeah. I mean, what is the threshold that the Braves fans have to – how much money do they have to spend? How, how many people need to go through the turnstiles? You and I were at game three. It was, there was not a seat available in that stadium, you know? And it's a and big stadium. And the place stadium. was transformed because – And it was all Braves fans. Yeah, it was I mean, it, There's amazing. not a lack of people that want to come see the Braves, especially the Braves in the postseason. I don't, that's not going to happen anymore. Now, yes, people will turn around and say, well, game four was not sold out. Well, I think people were so disappointed from the result of game three that they just couldn't come back to game four. And that's an easy cop-out for me to say. But It's an easy cop-out, but I think it's true. I mean, it's, it's just part of the makeup of the, the fans down here. But I think there's validity to it. it was, and it was quite a gut punch, that game. Yes. But that crowd on that crowd was still a very big crowd and an awesome well, and all, I mean really and into it and very loud you know and and again and I'm not trying to make excuses but I mean Turner Field's like fifty five thousand fifty six thousand people yeah it's like fifty one or something that's not I don't think that's true I'll check that but I think it's bigger than that okay. whatever but I mean most baseball stadiums are like forty two forty five somewhere yeah. in that neighborhood so when you see ten thousand empty seats at Turner Field well. Those seats don't exist in other stadiums, so you know it's a big park, and maybe they need to maybe they need to do something about that. Maybe they need to cut some of the upper upper deck stands out. Maybe they need to reconfigure Turner Field so it's a smaller stadium, so they can take away the the it's empty seats. Feeling. Yeah. we'll say it every year, Kurt, and we do. Right, let's remove some seats. Yeah. All right, man. Look, have a great holiday. Yeah, you too. Glad we got one more show in for the end of the year. Ham is in moving house, moving hell right now, so he's yes, a little. We, we wish him luck up. with that. It's it's the it's it's the best week of the year to buy a house. That that's probably true. <laughs> that's what the every real estate agent will tell you. It's also the best week of the year to get ABT merchandise for all your family and friends for the Christmas holidays. That's right. I have no idea what the shipping is, but surely you can get it by Christmas. Well, I can tell you, I got a mug for my dad. Yeah. It's not good. The mug is not good? No, no. The mug is brilliant, actually. Oh. And it's because they're being made one at a time. Ah. You're saying, you're saying the, the delivery time was not speedy. Well, that's, it wasn't great, but the shipping was a little over the top. But that's not us. That's Cafe Press who does that. That's right. <laughs> so blame them. All right, folks, that's the show. 
Uh, again, we'll be back in the next few weeks. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter, ATL Baseball Talk, and Facebook. And keep checking back regularly at AtlantaBaseballTalk.com. Keep posting in the comments section and subscribe to us on iTunes. Happy holidays and Happy New Year, everyone. Go Braves! Thanks for listening to Atlanta Baseball Talk, your weekly podcast for all things Atlanta Braves. To find new shows, to post in our forum, or to send a comment, please visit us at AtlantaBaseballTalk.com. Had to admit the problem, it's a hard thing to admit. Had to get on the program, it ain't an easy road when you quit. Had to make peace with my enemies, accept the power greater than mine. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. Day to has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.